Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. You're going to hear an exciting story today, I think, one that's interesting, not a typical story because um, the way I look at it, it's more of a journey, not just a spiritual journey, but actually a geographical journey because our guest has uh, lived in many places and came to know the Lord in the United States, I believe. But we'll, we'll hear the story from him. And many of you know who I'm talking about if I mention his name, Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum, who's the founder and director of Ariel Ministries, which is largely directed to Jewish issues and Jewish evangelism. And I've appreciated his work through the years and uh, listening to him at conferences, reading his books and commentaries. So you're going to meet him today, but I want you to hear his story because it's fascinating. And he's going to tell us about how he came to know the Lord, what the grace of God came to mean to him uh, with his Jewish background. So welcome, Arnold. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Well, we're happy to hear your story, but uh, as I noticed the very brief version online, um, it's just in a black and white outline. You're going to have to fill in the color. So take us back. Uh, it doesn't just start with your birth. This story really starts with your parents. Right. So tell us where where they were from and, and what what they went through before you even came along. Well, my father grew up in a town called Poltusk. It's about 50 miles or 80 kilometers north of Warsaw. And the town of Poltusk had a large had a large Jewish community. Uh, I was told even there were more Jews there than Gentiles were there. Mm. And there was a very strong Hasidic element there, the Orthodox, and he was raised just that way. It technically was raised by his grandfather because his father died when he was just three years old, and so the family adopted that son. But the, and, and and so the, he had he was raised by his grandfather, but they didn't call him that; they called him father, like his others. And all of his siblings were aunts and uncles, actually, and, and he was older than some of his uncles. And, mm. and so, but that's where he grew up in a very strict uh, religious environment. But as he he chose to go on a profession of a photography, and was training to be a photographer, and when he finally got of age and left home, that's when he cut off his uh, peyote, the side curls of his hair, and um, dressed like an average person, not no longer of a orthodox Hasidic Jew, and that's when um, the that's when the Nazis invaded Poland. Now, was, just to be clear, did he cut off? The, the the side curls to get it to work or it wasn't a religious rejection he wasn't rejecting the section but he wanted to align himself more like mainline orthodoxy but not ultra orthodoxy okay go ahead then i'm sorry the same black clothes all the time you can dress like any other jew dressed but it so he had mainline orthodoxy but you had a large segment of ultra orthodoxy and that's what he was part of hmm. uh, his grandfather uh, and so on but that's when he uh, finally moved away from it but when the germans invaded poland he already knew knew something about the hitler criteria so he fled into russia he crossed illegally so he got uh, arrested and he identified himself to be jewish but they accused him of being a nazi spy of all things that's odd 
They shipped him out to a work camp in Siberia where he languished for two years. And then what changed is the, is the German invasion of Russia. So the Russian government was in need of the Polish government support, and the Polish government was now exiled in England. And, say, and so they told the Russians they'll provide political support using England and so on, but they have to re release all Polish citizens from their prisons. So my father got released for that reason. Hmm. He didn't go back to Europe because the Nazis were inviting there. So he stayed in Siberia well away from the war and um, just made a profession through his photography. My mother was raised in a section called the German Republic of the USSR, which was inaugurated by us, by us our, our, the wife of a czar a couple of centuries earlier. And because the Russians were not doing well in agriculture and the Germans were doing very well in agriculture, she got, got many of the Germans to move into this section of Russia and became known as the autonomous republic. The mm. language was German and things of that nature. But I had a synagogue, had a Jewish community, and my mother grew up in more than of an atheistic environment, the opposite of my father was raised in. Hmm. So on. But she had, but they when the Russian when the Germans invaded the that area, the Stalin dissolved the autonomous republic, German Republic, because he was afraid they'll join the Germans. But they had no direct contact with Germany at all for their lives. And they shipped all the Germans out into Siberia, which, which included my mother. And so she was shipped out, and she just turned adulthood. She needed uh, a, a passport-type pictures. So she, got a, she heard about my father, and so she went and got a picture taken. Mm. And I de that's the kind of joke I tell now and then. I develop <laughs> a photographer. <laughs> you develop from a photographer. <laughs> She got a picture taken, and I developed. <laughs> That's a good one. She was uh, staying. So the first uh, three years of my life was in Siberia. And when the war finally ended and Germans were defeated, anybody and Poland became a communist country. So anybody with Polish citizens had the freedom to just go back to Poland. It was communist. And so we moved uh, they, uh, I was never there before, but they moved back, and then, uh, and after about nine months came the Jewish Passover, and the Catholic Church spread a rumor they often spread before, because there was a three-year-old Roman Catholic boy that somehow disappeared, and they accused us of kidnapping him to make matzah, to make unleavened bread, we had to have the blood of a Christian, according to the story, and so they spread the, that lie all, all over Poland. Can you back up a little bit, because uh, that came... That was a lot of uh, facts and names there. They accused, was it your parents? A three-year-old Catholic boy disappeared. A Catholic boy disappeared. And they accused the Jews in general, not particularly my parents. Okay. It's the Jews in general uh, of kidnapping him and using him uh, and performing a ritual murder, taking mm. it to make Passover bread. As a result, in my community and other communities, that's when uh, mob, Polish mobs were formed with the help of black rural priests. With the help of the Polish police, they began to raid the Jewish sectors, and many Jews got killed in Jesus' name. That was my first basic introduction hmm. uh, to that situation. 
So when the, all of that finally ended, they finally found the boy by doing after the riot. And so, so a lot of Jews got killed for nothing. But then the Israel, what was then called the Palestinian underground, the wrong Palestinian makes the wrong in at the, any, any indication today, but the word Palestinian then was Jewish, not the Arab, the way it is hmm. today. Is that right? And so so the, the Palestinian uh, underground, which uh, which I would call the Israeli underground, but there was no Israel yet. And uh, they worked out a, a scheme with the Polish border guards and to let the uh, the Jews to cross freely, and that and what they paid for it was American cigarettes, because American cigarettes were highly valued to what Polish and Russian cigarettes were valued at, and so as a result uh, of those um, cartons of Camel cigarettes, <laughs> we got to order to no man's land between Poland and Czechoslovakia. So I tell people, smoking may be bad for your health, but it was good for mine. It was good for you. <laughs> That's another good one. <laughs> Camel cigarettes. That's the that's the worst one. They don't have filters on them. <laughs> and, and also, Dad did have to walk a mile for a camel. Yeah, <laughs> we'll go halfway around the world. But but the so the the Catholics actually killed a lot of Jews. You said in the name of Jesus, right? Because oh, they saw it as a Jewish uh, religious. Uh, vengeance and to use a boy as a sacrifice that doesn't even make sense i don't doesn't make sense but that's what the the guy the average polish population was not particularly educated that the catholic church was teaching that they believed it yeah so for several hours we were just in a, in a setting called no man's land between poland and what was czechoslovakia this at this point this is part of the czech republic but at that point there was one country and as a result um this, the, the Israeli underground or Palestinian underground organized us, and we had to walk on foot the many miles to the Austrian border uh, from the Czech from Czechoslovakia. How old were I, you at this point? I was about uh, four, probably between four and five years old. That's when my memory begins to kick in. Okay. I don't remember any time of my time in Russia or Ukraine or so on. My memory kicks in only at that point. And that day, but the day before scheduled to actually cross the border into Austria, the Czechoslovak government collapsed. The communists took over. The borders were closed. The Russian border police replaced the Czech border police, and we had no we we had no permission to cross the border at that point. So what the Israelis said: just sit tight in the forest. They went into the the village where there was was a border crossing. And they found out that the uh, Russian border police, which had just arrived, were given strict orders to allow no one to cross the border except for Greeks. Hmm. Greeks were released from camps and gone, gone back to Greece. So they told us to burn all our identification papers, birth certificates, anything we had to identify. And we had to approach the Russians at the Czech-Austrian border. Uh, not one of us was a Greek. Not one of us could speak a word of Greek, but neither could the Russians. Mm. So because of huge, we all got across. Those are some error at the end, one of the Israelis was killed, but everybody else made it across safely. And so we crossed into Czech, into Austria. There the American MPs took over and transferred us to the American zone of West Germany at that point. And we lived for the next five years in displaced persons camps. 
Or displaced persons camps in West Germany. In the Amer- yeah. The, the West Germany was divided into the French zone, the British zone, the American zone. We fortunately got into the American zone. And so we then they moved us from one camp to another. We finally got the immigration papers and we were able to load it on ship, old ships that took 10 days to cross back to New York. Hmm. And that's what we took. And 10 days later, we arrived in New York City. And uh, that was our entry into, into America. Ellis Island? Ellis Island, yep. Mm-hmm. If you visit Ellis Island, you, they have the, in the walls all these names. You see my father's name, my mother's name, my name, and one, and the name of one brother and one sister. They're both today, born in. Today you can in. go there and see that. It's, it's still in there. Wow, how about that? You see it, but some friends of mine went in there and they took pictures of those names on the wall, and it's still there. That's interesting. That gives me a reason to go actually be there. I wanted to uh, float by it someday, but not land. But that gives me a good reason to land and look you up. If I believe it's all I've been told alphabetical authors, you should be able to find Fruchtenbaum real easy. And that, and that was three, and that was five of us that came in my parents, myself, one brother, and one sister. Mm-hmm. Were born. Late 1940s? No, he got in 1951. 1951. Okay. And uh, my father went into working for a photography studio. He eventually went into his own business. Uh, so we mostly lived in a very strong called, called Brownsville of section. Brownsville in Brooklyn, it was in Brooklyn, and it was very, very Jewish. It was slowly changing to a black neighborhood, but it was, it was primarily a Jewish neighborhood when I lived there. And then from there, and it was there that... Uh, Finally, contact was made. What I made, should mention in between that in those five years in Germany, there was a Lutheran minister working on behalf of uh, what was then called the American Board of Missions to the Jews. Today's the Chosen People Ministry, same organization. Mm-hmm. He was initially was given uh, clothes, uh, stocks of clothing to give out to, to Jewish refugees. So he made contact with us and uh, uh, there and then made several visits to my parents. I was not involved in discussions, but when he learned that we uh, we had applied for immigration status to the USA, he happened to have a magazine uh, published by the ministry called The Chosen People. And he didn't give my mother the whole magazine. She never knew what it was about. Hmm. Uh, off, and on the bottom of the cover was the New York headquarters address. So we finally settled in Brooklyn in the Jewish neighborhood in Brownsville on Blake Avenue. Then she went to visit, and uh, unfortunately, by a quirk, she spoke four different languages at that point, only learned English, learned still learning English. Hmm. But she wasn't as fluent in it yet. So so nobody there there could speak her other four languages. But uh, so the... They took our name and address on the three by five card and conveyed to her. We contacted her sometime later, and sometime later it turned out to be six years later. Six years later, the, 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 it was not a good follow up program. Follow up program. They opened up, <laughs> when they then they opened up a new branch just about a mile from where we living in the Brownsville section of Brooklyn, which was a very Jewish section. So she took a subway ride, and. Uh, 
and uh, she was invited to attend the meeting. So I, so she went, I went, uh, and so on. And uh, what I found, a father taught me a lot of Bible. By, by Bible, I mean the Old Testament. That there was nothing like a New Testament in, in our scriptures. So uh, through that, it was conveyed uh, through that uh, situation. And my mother and parents never talked to him a lot. I was involved in conversation, but he never became believers. My mother just thought maybe a, Jew, a, a Jewish group that will help immigrant Jews coming into America, which which is what we were. And that's Arnold, how contact was made. Yeah, you said they never became believers. Is that at that point, or did they ever become believers later? That was an opportunity to come to faith because he explained the gospel to them. But they just befriended each other and so on. But uh, she never be, neither of my parents ever became believers, mm. nor any believers at this stage or any stage. But what happened was we went to the Brooklyn meeting, and the person addressing us started talking about uh, Jesus, which was what I was expecting from what they told me. But what really threw me is they kept using the Hebrew Bible to do it with. It wasn't supposed to be in my Bible. Mm. And using my Bible to talk about this God, Yeshua, Jesus, and so on. So I got, I got upset in that first meeting night. But then uh, the person who first invited us, invited us, could see what was happening. So she happened to have a New Testament with a one that was published with the, all the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. But it was a New Testament. And she asked that and she challenged me to, to read for it for myself and see if he didn't do what the Messiah was supposed to do. And I agreed to do that, not because I was open-minded. I was just going to prove these uh, schizophrenics to things that can be both Jews and Christians at the same time. And how old were you, Arnold, at this point? In my early teens, around 13. Around 13. Do you remember specifically what Old Testament passages they used that really irritated you at that time? Well, the main one was Isaiah 52, 53. Mm -hmm. But these, uh, like Genesis 3, 15, or Isaiah 7, 14, and things of that nature. But the main one was the Isaiah 52, 53, and then so on. So I went home, and I, what I thought I would read, what I actually ended up being reading was quite shocking. The very first verse I opened up to was Matthew 1, 1. This is the generation of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of Abraham, and the son of David. Well, that didn't sound um, Jewish. That sounded very Jewish. Mm. And the Jewish nature intrigued me, so I kept on reading. And eventually, after reading a lot, uh, I decided, well, if there is, uh, if he was not the Messiah, there probably may not be one. But I decided to go back the second time, and this time wasn't upset anymore. And I sat down with the same person, and uh, we went from the Old Testament prophecy to the New Testament fulfillment. It was that evening in, uh, on, the back, on the 6th and Avenue in Brooklyn where the ministry was conducting a branch. That's how I came to faith mm. and, and, and became a schizophrenic myself because I was now claiming to be both a Jew and a Christian. So that's how it began. Okay, so uh, you 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 were about thirteen years old. You became a Christian, right? And uh, was that just by conversing one on one at with this person at a meeting? 
right, and your own meet, Bible study. Went to the public meeting, but at the end of the meeting it was one on one, and that's when I came to faith. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and we and uh, that upset my parents, but we after one year we moved from Brooklyn to uh, where I put the story. We left Brooklyn, immigrated to America, and settled in California. <laughs> <laughs> But there I was, and we can go to my high school, my last year of junior high and then high school. And there was an LA branch of what was the, was of, of the of the ministry, and by their old name. And uh, I and I went to their meetings and grew up quite a bit. And then at the end of my high school career, my father was so angry, he expelled me from home, and asked me to leave. California, because his whole livelihood was based upon his photography with synagogues and bar mitzvahs and Jewish weddings. Mm -hmm. That's how they were able to fund his. And and while in, while in Brooklyn, we had a brother born in California. Three more sisters were born, so we seven kids. Mm -hmm. The last three kids were born after I was expelled, so I didn't see them for a long time. And, uh, and so uh, he... When he uh... You you make it sound like it was almost a financial decision to expel you because he might have might lose business with his Jewish clients, but certainly did he get into religious arguments with you? In the early days, we finally quit trying and trying, and uh, and he just uh, asked me to leave the house for sure, which I had no choice. But he really asked me to leave California because he was afraid that if, it, if I was doing this kind of messianic work. And it got wind, and Fruchtenbaum is not a common name, so my, and then he might lose his ability to continue making a living. Mm, I see. All of his business with photography was with the Jewish community. Mm -hmm. Did you have anywhere to go? Where did you end up going? Well, I, I, I began going back to New York City, where my Messianic uh, Fellowship was going. And so it took two weeks to cross the country, and I got there two weeks later. I had about $20 left out of $120 left. So I began going to a Christian school. Adopt, um, initially, uh, it was in uh, South Jersey. And there was, uh, didn't know what the covenant theology was, but that's the kind of school. It was a pre-mill covenant school. Mm. And I thought it been raised dispensationally by uh, by the ministry. Mm. So nobody told there was something odd. But my final year was transferred to Cedarville uh, College. It's still University now, but back yeah. then it was Cedarville College. Fine school, and, yeah. And then started dispensational school, so that's where I did my last year. Mm -hmm. uh, did my training there. And then you went on to Dallas Theological Seminary, didn't you? Not right away. I applied and was accepted, but I had a special, there was a special program for the, the University, which was a 14-month program. And so I decided to try that program first. So I delayed going to Dallas by one year. And when the Hebrew University it was a, in a 14 month program, it was the year when the Six Day War broke out. Six Day War broke out. And that's when uh, I was there doing those events. I lived in Jerusalem, only four blocks from the Jordanian border. Mm. I cut so that was my world at, for, for, in that 14 month program. And when I finished there, then I went to Dallas Sumner and began my four years there. I see. So you you were living in Jerusalem during the Six Day War. That must have been quite an experience. Oh, it was. It was. <laughs> I'm sure you. 
I'm sure you're understating that. Yeah, it was it was a phenomenal situation with all the winning the war in six days it was not like we anticipated. We thought much longer war, but we were able to fill in the uh, all of the bags with sandbags to fill in under windows and so on. And uh, we were quite protected. And the Judean army began shelling us. Never made were able to break through the Israeli defense. And this war broke through their defenses. And after only three days of fighting, Jerusalem was captured. One more day of fighting, Sinai got taken. And then the fifth, the sixth was the Golan Heights. Mm. So did you, in your group that you were with, go from like being afraid and despairing to within days rejoicing and celebrating? Well, most of these students with me had fled the land before the war broke out. I did not flee the land. <laughs> I stayed with about three or four other ones. So we stayed at the institute there where I was trained, where I was learning in the university. So, and uh, I just stayed put and learned a lot. I couldn't fight, but they put me in charge of a shelter. And the building I was living in had a very large fortified basement in preparation of war. And so that's 73 people from our neighborhood all flocked into there. And I was in charge of caring for them for the first three days of the war. Because for Jerusalem, the war ended after three days. Mm-hmm. And and I, would, and I would go out to the military uh, lines. They would give me all these boxes of bread and so on that I would bring down to the basement so that the refugees will have something to eat. So that. I was put in charge of that section. My, my Hebrew became rather fluent by then because it was the end of my year in, in Israel. And, we, and my relatives didn't speak English, and I didn't speak Hebrew when I first came. So hmm. altogether, Hebrew in school and also with my, my correlation with my relatives. And so uh, by, by the time I left Israel, I was very fluent in Hebrew. So that was a uh, pretty, pretty good on your... Um application to Dallas Seminary that you could speak Hebrew and had just come from the Six-Day War. Yeah, it was helpful. <laughs> Except to me, the previous year, I just had to re, re, um, reapply, and that didn't take too long because they already had my old application that was already approved. And I think we both got our THM, for four-year degree there, Dallas. Um, what professors had the greatest influence on you? The strongest influence was Charles Wiley. He was my favorite teacher. After that, there was uh, Johnson and uh, Pentecost. Mm-hmm. But the one who influenced most was Wiley. That's great. So when I, think, I wrote my book, The First of the Messiah, I dedicated the book to him. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. That's great. So after your THM, uh, where, where did your journey go? My wife, I got married between my first and second year at seminary. So when we finished the seminary, we decided to move to, to go to Israel. We were able to go there for two years. And during that time, we lived right in Jerusalem um, and uh, living in the United Jerusalem because it was after the Six-Day War. And so after, and I got very much involved in the Messianic congregation and evangelism and things of that nature. But after two years, they they called me in and were, were expelling me because of my activities. Mm. So and so after two two good years. So you were just too vis- too visible, too too. Right. Um, well, it was a congregation that was well known by the enemies, so to speak, and so on. So 
I was able to work with them for those two years. And uh, it was a great period of time of my life. How did you find? To... Yeah, go ahead. I actually came back every year leading. My major in Hebrew University was historical geography, which is how history affects the geography and geography affects the history. So I was able to conduct uh, special tours, but my tours were not the average tourist tours, which are about 10 days to two weeks. These were all five-week tours that covered the whole country from Mount Hermon to the north to mm-hmm. the top south and so on. So each year I would lead these five-week long study tours, which I was doing until recently. I would have liked to have been on one of those. So how did you find the openness of the Jewish people to your when you were there working in the church to your Christian message? I, was, I wasn't working for a church. I was just um, working, working on my own. Okay. Uh, I'm a member of a Messianic congregation. And the word church does not communicate well. Oh, you were work, you were with a Hasidic Jewish congregation. No, no, no. I, I wouldn't be allowed to. It was a Messianic Jewish congregation. Messianic Jewish. Okay. Don't, that don't use the term church because too much of Jewish history, the Jews were persecuted. What I call the three C's: the church, Christ, and the cross. So, I believe use the thing other other terms. Doesn't immediately set up a block. And conversation-wise, Israelis love to converse, but it's very hard for them to cross the line to believe. But we saw some uh, here and there Jewish people coming to faith. As far as conversing, they loved it. <laughs> but hmm. the Hasids, by were only two or three blocks away, didn't like it. So they influenced the government to have my wife and I expelled. Hmm. Okay. So back to America you went. I came back to America, and I came back and staffed with uh, what is now CPM. but uh, Chosen People it, Ministries. Right. It wasn't wasn't that yet. That came much yeah. later. But okay. It was American Board of Missions mm-hmm. to the Jews, which then became Chosen People Ministries. I used CPM, but only as a guideline. Uh, but it's not, it became CPM much later when the new leadership came to, 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 to the fore. But uh, uh, that's... I used to do a lot of discipleship, which was I was I was a benefit of being discipled a lot by the staff. But some of the philosophy began changing, like the, this uh, evangelism only, it, uh, not not too much discipleship. I was not comfortable with that. So eventually, I left and worked for two years with a group called the Christian Jew Foundation in San Antonio, Texas. Mm-hmm. Eventually, two years later, I started our ministries. That, that uh, began uh, back in 1975 and slowly developed into a full school in upstate New York that we run every summer. We now have branches in the, altogether in about 13 different countries. Okay, so you're in 13 countries? I was going to ask you about that. And there, there is a school in New York? It, it's called the Ariel School of Messianic Jewish Studies. It's, in, it's not in New York City, but New York State way up. 40 miles south of the borderland between Lake Placid and Lake Champlain. Hmm. Um, we had a slowly developed a one week, two week. At this point, it's an eight and a half week school from the uh, first Saturday in July through the end of Labor Day weekend. Mm-hmm. And we run that school. We slowly develop, try and develop into a year round school. So we'll see how that's going. But we, 
before COVID hit, we were having people come from 15 different countries. And then COVID hit, and one year we weren't allowed to have anything. And the following year, we're allowed to have it only limited to 10 students and 20 workers. Mm-hmm. But this last summer, back to pre to the pre-COVID period, but because so much of internationals had to have a visa, and the visa was not being granted. So we have, instead of 15 or 16 countries, we had only five countries representing the Okay. Well, um, yeah, we could mention a little bit more about what your ministry is doing, but I, I want to back up just a little bit because I'm curious about uh, your conversion with your background as a strict Jewish background, I imagine you knew the law very well. I imagine you were trained to follow many aspects of the law. Um, and the message of grace and the gospel of grace, was it uh, a very um, emotional thing to to admit that the law could not save you and to understand that God's grace was absolutely free that realization, did that happen all at once? Was it difficult to deal with that thought? Between the time they first gave me a New Testament to the time I finished reading it and came back, uh, that was the, the most difficult period of my life about coming to faith. But when I sat down with the same individual who first gave me the New Testament, that became much clearer to me. The gospel is a simple gospel. The, the act of grace was what grace. I didn't have to earn anything, and so on. And uh, when I became like make a decision, came to faith. That's that's the way. That's the way it happened. And uh, and I've never I've never I've never challenged it or doubted thereafter. That's great. As, as someone, and I see some of this maybe reflected in the book of Galatians as people who followed the law. Uh, and the law was something that told them what to do. And all of a sudden to discover grace, it seemed like that would cause quite a struggle. So now we're free. What do we, how do, how do we live? Of course, the answer is to walk in the spirit. But I mean, did you have that kind of struggle that, okay, so what am I supposed to do? Well, the, 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 it's not true that today with CPM, but back then everybody was solidly dispensational. They understood how to divide the scriptures and so on, and uh, these are things. Uh, these are things we need to do by grace, but we're not. When these things are not going to save us, yeah. And it's saved by grace through faith apart from works. We are beyond the Lord, the Messiah, and the Lord Moses at the present time. We have rules to follow things of that nature. But those rules don't determine our salvation. It may determine our rewards for the kingdom, but they have no value in affecting our salvations. Salvation was a once-an-act commitment, and you're instantaneously saved, just as, as uh, just like that. But that, that didn't mean I can do whatever I wanted. Amen. And your doctrinal statement at Ariel Ministries is crystal clear on salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And, I really appreciate that. Well, Arnold, it was great to hear your story, and I, I think we need to continue the conversation and hear a little bit about some of your thoughts about some of the current events that are going on with Israel, if you don't mind. We can we can talk about that. But but today we're we're very happy that you spent the time to tell us about uh your your background and and how 
Ariel Ministries came to be such a worldwide outreach and how God has used you. Yeah, God did it. We didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for your time. And, My pleasure. And we'll talk to you again. Well, Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum has had this worldwide ministry. God, for some reason, chose him, not just the chosen people, the Jews, but chose him to be an instrument of his grace and spread the message of grace. And he believes in a clear gospel of grace, and that's the message behind Ariel Ministries, um, as, as you've heard. And you can see his resources. We'll put the information at the introductory text of the podcast, but you'll see it, ariel.org. A-R-I-E-L dot org. And you can access his uh, many articles, Bible question and answer, magazine, uh, information about conferences and events uh, in your area. And the school in New York, I'm sure, is on there too. So be sure to look that up. And if you like what you heard today, share it with someone else, especially if you know someone uh, who could appreciate uh, this testimony as from someone who came from Judaism to Christ, and uh, then give us a good rating, and uh, more and more people will listen to it. So, just want to thank you for your uh, listening to us, and uh, we will say until all here. Thank you for listening. For more resources, or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.